nice to know that you swam to church today and uh, made it anyway. Well, if you have been with us over the past um, four weeks, I guess now, in the, in the study through Hebrews, there have been times, I know I have, I'm sure you have as well, that you have felt like the water is coming faster than you can possibly take it in and your, your ship's about to sink. And I, I apologize for that, but to some degree, it is the nature of this book, the book of Hebrews. If you think about it, the very first Sunday of this series, I shared from one sentence in the very first verse, and that's it, the entire message. So this is the most densely packaged book of truth and theology, second only to the book of Romans and all the New Testament. So it is not an easy uh, navigational uh, feat here that we're doing. And plus, it's bridging the Old and the New Testament. As we talked about, it's kind of like the crypt notes of the entire Bible. So you kind of get that feel as you're, as you're wading through this. But I know even last week, as we were talking about the order and the line of Melchizedek, and, and again, just one of those elements of the line of Melchizedek, the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood. Again, you could just kind of get lost in all of that, and I apologize for that. Again, it's the nature of it. But the great thing has come out of that. I I got a text on Thursday this week from Brian, one of our church members, who actually told me that four Hindu men in his work area came up to him and asked him about the religions of the world. And he was able to, as he says in his own word, seize the moment because of the things that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks about the different religions and how they align and how they fit in to uh, the big global scheme. It's not been an attempt to overwhelm you. I promise you that I always like putting the cookies on the bottom shelf because I like to eat cookies and they're easier to reach that way. And so I always want to do that. I'm not trying to explode the brain, just trying to expand it. Uh, And I think the way uh, Douglas Wilson said it is so true. He said, the brain is not a shoebox that gets full, but it's rather a muscle that expands its capacity with increased use. So what we're trying to do in this study through Hebrews is just kind of strengthen a muscle, an area of your life that maybe hasn't been used on a regular basis, thus the challenging messages up until this point. But one of the things that you should clearly see in, again, cookie on the bottom shelf, that should come through emphatically through the study of Hebrews so far and throughout the entire study is that Hebrew manifest that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that He is supreme, that He hold salvation for the entire world. You need to get it down, big, plain, and straight. That is the manifest, that's the succinct statement that summarizes all of Hebrews, is that that Jesus Christ is sufficient, is supreme, and He holds salvation for the entire world in in His hand. Now, we have looked the past two weeks, if you've been with us, we've looked back at how Mormonism, Islam, how, how, again, the various faiths of the world, how do they line up in comparison to Christianity? We've kind of, kind of broken those down a little bit. But this week, we're not going to look at the people out there. We're going to look at the people in here. We're not going to just talk about them over there. We're going to talk about us in here. Today, we're going to take a great big mirror, and we're going to turn it around, and we're going to look at each other, and we're going to look at ourselves, and we're going to say, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it really mean 
to be a follower of Christ. Not necessarily what I saw modeled in my house growing up. Not necessarily what I see in my spouse. Not necessarily what I see around the Christians that I'm with. In fact, I want us to take the word Christian and just take that label off of us. Because if you think back to the history of that label for a moment, I'm not asking you to deny your faith. Hear me all the way through. I'm asking us to take that label off. And let the world label us that. Because if you go back to the history of it, it wasn't a bunch of early Christians sitting in a big upper room deciding, hey, we got to brand ourselves here. we got to figure out who we are. we got to get a bucket. And we got to decide who we are. And we're going to call ourselves Christians. It wasn't that at all. You go back to the book of Acts, you go back to the city of Antioch, and it was actually a bunch of pagan unbelievers in the city of Antioch that were looking at these Christ followers, and they said they're just like little Christians. They're just like little Christ. They are living differently. And it was the pagan lost world that looked at these followers of Jesus and said they're Christians. So I wonder today, If I was to ask your children, when daddy's driving the car, is he a Christian? If I was to ask your your people on your team at work what faith you hold to, would they be able to quickly come out, oh, I know that he, she is a Christian, emphatically a follower of Jesus. So I want us to really think about that. And don't just take a survey today. How many of y'all are Christians? Raise your hand. Tick it off. I've been baptized. I've been sprinkled. I've been dunked. I've been sprayed. Whatever. You know, I, I am truly a follower of Jesus. And I want us to do some, some real hard examination on that. Take your Bibles. Find the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Again, we'll continue this study through Hebrews all the way through until Christmas time, so you'll be your pages will be very worn out by then. Chapter five is where we were last week. We were in the first part of chapter five. If you remember, again, when we were talking about the order in the line of Melchizedek, I mean, just to totally blow your head away, all that kind of all that kind of talk. We'll come back and it'll all make sense as we kind of put it all together as we go through this series. But hang on. Because all of a sudden, the writer of Hebrews interrupts himself. He said, I really wish I could tell you more, but I can't. Who is he writing to? He's writing not to Muslims or Mormons or anything like that. We've established that. He's writing to people who are once Jewish followers that are now become Christians, but they're actually now begin to waffle a little bit in their faith, kind of get a little weak need, kind of second-guessing kind of wondering if they want to stay on track with this, this whole Christian theme. And they're kind, of, they're kind of on the fence there. And so he's bringing it up. He's saying, listen, guys, you're going to have to man up. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have to realize that this is real stuff. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and what's the kind of the history of, of the book of Hebrews? We don't know who wrote it exactly. It was a kind of a sermon that was preached in the early church, we believe. A lot of people espouse that Apollos wrote it. Apollos was a very educated man from the city of Alexandria, and it's believed, Eusebius believes, one of the early church fathers believes, that John Mark went to Alexandria and shared the gospel there with the people in northern Africa. 
uh, whenever he left Paul and Barnabas. That actually, that's where he went, and he shared the gospel there. Now, again, we don't know. That's just what historical church history tells us. That's what happened. And maybe, if that's true, then maybe Apollos became a believer then, and that he becomes a a devoted follower of Christ, thus explaining this book that is so densely packaged, so high theology, and so very educated. It's, again, a little bit overwhelming uh, to dive into. But really, he's just challenging them. Guys, gals, don't give up. Don't waver. Don't waffle. Don't throw in the towel on this. This is serious stuff. And the reality is, I know we struggle with the same temptations. And I'm going to just say this again. Not everybody who claims themselves to be Christian should really wear that title. The world should be naming you that. Because even Paul told Timothy, and young Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, he tells Timothy, and he says this, listen, you need to realize that there's a form of godliness out there, but they deny, it's in, uh, it's in, uh, in one, of, one of Paul's letters, he says, but they deny the power thereof. And what does he say then? He says, have nothing to do with them. There is a, in essence, let me give it to you in the Mike McDaniel Amplifies version, okay? There is a form in 21st century northwest Arkansas, of Christianity that looks pretty good. But I want to tell you, it denies the power, the life-transforming power, the the life-changing power that Jesus Christ wants to do in people. And don't settle for no substitutes. Don't don't take second-rate Christianity. You take the real stuff, okay? And avoid it like the plague if you see it or when you see it. And that's what I want to challenge us with today as we're looking in the mirror and we're looking at our life is I want to make sure that we're not in the camp that needs to be avoided. Because I want us to steer clear of two things. I want us to steer clear of nominal and notional Christians. All right? Now, I'm not calling them the plague because we might very well be the nominal. We might very well be the notional. In fact, I'm going to say this. I'm going to stick my head out. I'm going to say this room has a a representation of both. And there are times in my life that I can actually fall into one of those categories if I'm not careful. So let's break these down and let's let's determine why you don't want to be a nominal, why you don't want to be a notional uh, Christian, all right? Number one is nominal Christians will hear but not listen. Now, how many of y'all have children? Raise your hand. How many of y'all ever struggle with children hearing but not listening, all right? If you raise children, you've got to. How many times have you told your spouse something, get something at the store, do this, whatever? They heard you, but they, don't raise your hand on this one, okay? Uh, But they weren't listening to you. You know, there's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system that actually is a part of your brain that helps you to determine what is priority and what is not priority. Now, I'm not saying what your wife said is not priority. I'm just saying this is out there, all right? I'm not saying that's what happened to you. I'm just saying this is out there. And you can literally, it's, it, it's, it's a feature of the brain that's actually a pretty good thing because if you, like, live next to railroad tracks and you hear in the middle of the night and the house begins to shake and the walls shake and the pictures are shaking, and it, it's the reticular activating system that after you live there long enough, you realize it's not an earthquake, the world's not coming to an end, and you, you will live. In fact, you'll even get to the point now, well, it's 11 o'clock, it's time for the train to come through town. And so you just kind of know it. You know the bell, you know the whistle, and when you grow up as a kid and you leave a house, you'll almost miss the sound of that train. The reticular activating system is a very good thing. 
when it's employed for the good. But whenever we use it in a spiritual sense, when you use it in a marital sense, it's definitely not good. When you use it in a spiritual sense, it is not a good thing. Because what we do is we make God a mute. Let me say that to you again in case you didn't hear me. We make God a mute when we hear Him, but we don't listen to Him. We become a nominal Christian at that point. It's a very serious problem. It's probably one of the most subtle issues that can come upon us. But if we are not careful, it will hit us hard and it will hit us fast. If you look at chapter 5, verse 11, it says this. It says, about this, we have much more to say. What's that? All that stuff we talked about last week, the light of Melchizedek, all this understanding of who Jesus is as the high priest. We've got a lot more to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Since you're not listening so well, since there's a problem here in the communication, you're, you're hearing but you're not listening, we've got some issues. Now let me just tell you this. This is a very real issue, and it's a very current issue inside the Christian circles, okay? And so make sure you're not there because the reality is is that the best thing we can do is listen and hear and heed what God says. Let me give you just two verses, all right? Psalm 107 says it like this, Whoever is wise, let him heed these things. When God speaks, the wise person heeds them, obeys them. Psalm 16, Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. So in two simple verses I've read, you find prosperity, you find wisdom tied directly to your and my ability to hear, listen, and obey. If you read John 14 on your own, you'll find that there's a direct correlation between a disciple of Christ and the person who experiences God in a powerful, impactful way. Read it for yourself. If we do not dive into this, we will miss because we're not listening. Because we got other things going on. Because of so many other reasons, we will miss it. So two questions you need to ask yourself today to help you determine, am I a notional Christian? All right? So here's question number one. Are you stuck? Are you stuck? Because if you go on and you read in verse 12, he said, really, guys? Really, Hebrews? Really, people in Rome? You ought to be teachers. You ought to be the one passing it on. See, there's this direct cause and effect relationship. When I become a follower of Christ, there is a cause and effect relationship that I'm going to help others become followers of Christ, that I'm going to hear a principle of God, and that I'm going to help other people live out that principle of God. There's this cause and effect relationship. It's throughout Scripture. Jesus makes it clear. He makes it clear in Matthew. He makes it clear in other, other, other passages in, in, in the Gospel of Mark. He's the, he said this. He said, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. There's a cause and effect relationship there. You follow me, I'm going to make you this, all right? Even Jesus said in Matthew, he said, the student will become like the teacher. If you're really a disciple of Christ, you ought to be becoming, becoming more like Christ. If you're becoming more like Christ, you know what Jesus did? Spent all of his life doing it, making disciples. You ought to be a teacher. You ought to be taking whatever you've been given, And you ought to be passing it on. It ought to be a conduit of your heart 
that you're taking what God has given you and you're passing on. Let me tell you about Monty and Shelley Moore, recent members of our church. I've known them for, for most of my life. They got out of church not long after high school. They were high school sweethearts, got married, didn't go back to church for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. And they came back recently to Grace Point. And the great thing has happened is Monty became a believer recently, became a follower of Christ, knelt down his salvation. Beautiful story. They went through our last North Point new members class. They got ba- he got baptized in our last baptism uh, service that we had just a few weeks ago. And you know where they were at 8 o'clock this morning? They were in a two-year-old class teaching two-year-olds the basic principles of God. What they got is they were a new believer, a new member, a new baptized person, and they were teaching new children the new principles of God. It's a beautiful story. Big deal. How important is that? Because if you're not teaching what you've been taught, you're stuck. You're stuck. You're stuck in your faith. You're meandering around. It's a very troubled situation to be in. Let me ask you another question. You ask yourself this question. Am I maturing? All right? Now, am I maturing in my faith? I know this is highly subjective. But let me put it to you like this. If you're still struggling with the same sour attitude you had six months ago, you're not maturing. If you're still struggling with the same temptation of lust and envy and strife, you're probably not maturing. If you're still hung up on something that happened 10 years ago and you've never forgiven that person and you're just hanging on to that bitterness, you're probably not maturing. Hey, Mike, what do you base this on? Again, look at the passage of Scripture beginning in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Or you need to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. Now, that's a metaphor that he's going to use, that Paul uses, that Peter uses. It's a, it's a first century metaphor to speak to an infant child. It even makes sense to us, obviously, if you've ever raised children. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's why I can say, if there's, you're still struggling with a sin, with a temptation, with something, six months, nine months, a year ago, it's because you've not learned to the discernment. You've not been trained. You're not practicing to distinguish between good and evil. You've just been taken over. If your attitude is, whatever it is, put it out there on the table. And you don't want to be there. And again, he uses this whole milk and solid food kind of thing. You need to get off the milk. You need to get on something solid. You, you need to be teaching, but instead you're still needing to be taught. Now listen, a two-month-old on a mother's breast is cute. A two-year-old on a mother's breast isn't so sweet. A 22-year-old is illegal and repulsive, okay? And there are some Christians who have been Christians for 22 years, and they're still suckling. They're still taking it in. They're still being fed. Instead of taking the little faith, hope, and love that they have and passing it on, 
and growing up more and passing it on and growing up more. That's why Monty Moore and that whole story is so important is that they're taking what little they have and guess what? They're going to study this week and they're going to learn a little bit more and bring it back and teach them some more. Problem is we're stuck. Why is this? Are we dealing with like remedial Christians, like special ed Christians over here in Rome? Is that what we're dealing with? And I'm not making fun of special ed. I went to special ed. I, I, I was a remedial student all through high school. We're not dealing with that. This is what probably hit me the hardest yesterday afternoon as I was reviewing my message. Is when I went and I found, I looked at that word in, in verse verse, uh, look, look first of all in chapter 6, verse 1, because I want you to notice the attitude that he has. I mean, he's like, he's like non-compassionate with him. He's very in their face because he says this, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. You hear that in there? He's just like saying, guys, get with it. Get on it. We're not staying here. I'm not going to go back and repeat myself. You, you, you know what I'm talking about when your kids are like that? Listen, when you've got a team member like that, you have to go back and say it again and again. What's the problem? We'll go back to verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. That word dull is a word that I broke into. It's only used two times in all the New Testament. It's the Greek word nothros. It's a serious problem. It's called laziness. The reason that these Christians weren't teaching wasn't because they lacked the mental capabilities. They didn't get the training. It wasn't because they skipped out that day and were sick that day. It was sheer laziness. Now you just tell me, adults in this room, what do you do when your kids are lazy? What do you do when you have an employer or employee who's lazy? What do you do when you have a team member who's lazy? They typically go to the bench. Listen, that's why he is so uncompassionate with them. That's why he's so calling them out. That's why he's saying, listen, you ought to be teachers and you're still needing to be taught. Notional Christianity is so unhealthy. So, Excuse me, nominal Christianity is so unhealthy unhealthy. Let me tell you, I know we've all got a lot of things on our plates, but let me tell you about the two, my two, two favorite appointments in any and every week. It's at 6 a.m. on Monday and 6 a.m. on Tuesday. When I meet with five guys on Monday and I meet with ten guys on Tuesday, and all we do is study and challenge and pour into each other one-on-one, or as much as we can, back and forth, back and forth. We hold each other accountable. We grow in our faith. What are we doing? We are teaching each other as well as being taught. And listen, I'm, all I'm saying this to you, you will realize tremendous value add you receive and you give when you take your faith and you pass it on. Let's talk about numero two, those uh, uh, Notional Christians. What are they like? We are enlightened, but we're not enraptured. All right? You don't want to be a nominal Christian because nominal Christians are just lazy Christians. They should be teachers, but they're not. Okay? There's a whole prescription for that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you don't want to be a notional Christian by all means. It means you've been enlightened, but you're not enraptured. 
probably has been more ink spilt over these verses that we're about to read than any other in the book of Hebrews. But I want us to understand this, that not everyone, now this may be an epiphany to you, so don't miss it, not everyone who is here today, who's been baptized, has a church membership somewhere on the planet, gives money, serves somewhere, does a good deed every now and then, not everyone's going to heaven. Jesus even said it, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter. And it's not, you don't get to heaven by what you do, but what you, by in that, entering into that relationship with Jesus Christ, it does change you. It changes you. All right? Remember, a notional Christian, they're enlightened, but they're not, they're, they're not enraptured by, by the whole Christian faith. Go to chapter, uh, chapter 6 now. Chapter 6, verse 4. He says, for it is impossible for, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, boy, it sounds, that sounds a positive thing, right? And has tasted of the heavenly gift and has shared in the Holy Spirit, all very positive phrases, and has tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. Sounds like a pretty good Christian, right? Let's go on. And then has fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God on their own uh, harm, holding Him in contempt. Listen, Jesus isn't coming back down and dying again. And the reality is, is that there's some people that are really, 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 really close to following Jesus, but they're not. They're all around it. They, they're, they're, in, they're enthralled by it. They're interested in it. They're, they're, they're what I would call... It's an example of what I was, I was in Turkey a year ago in the fall, and I, and I we got out of the bus, and we got, uh, walked up to this, to this, this shop and this store, and they were selling Gucci watches and Rolex watches and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, the guy is really big about his banner above it, what, what kind of store it is, and this is the name of the store. It is Genuine Fake Watches. <laughs> and I thought, I like it. I, at least he's honest. You know, it's genuine fake. All right? So you just have to choose what, what you want. Genuine about his fakeness. I don't, I don't know. You know, it looks like a Rolex. It, for a while, it looks like a Rolex. It, it may even sound like a Rolex or, or whatever. But in, in the end, it's not. It's a genuine fake. And so, you know, I thought about that in terms of this passage. I think there's some genuine fake Christians. L- let me give you some examples of this from this passage. A genuine fake Christian, what do they look like? You see enough to believe, but you still refuse to believe. Let me give you an example. Because remember, he said he's lightened. He was enlightened. He's been once enlightened. I had a friend of mine who, who started coming to Grace Point. We, we weren't friends until he started coming to Grace Point, but he started coming when we were in the very beginning. We were still over in Reagan Elementary School 11 years ago. His wife joined the church, started serving in the church. It was a beautiful story, and she was so faithful. And I'm going to call him Jim, okay? Now, Jim was a little bit more hands-off. He's a little slower on. He's a little coming on a little slower. But he would, he would stay back. Well, Jim came from a cultural Christian background where he went through the religious ceremonies. He did all that kind of stuff. He wasn't certain he believed it now that he was an adult. But anyway, he went through that whole motions, and there he was. 
And he was sitting there, and he was impressed by the church and where we were going and what we were doing. Well, he and I struck it up. He's about 15 years older than I am, very successful in business. We hung out together. I ate at their house together. We, went to, we went, had meals together one-on-one. We went to Razorback games together. We had lots of conversation over the course of five years. Jim, I knew, was a notional Christian. And he kind of knew it. He wasn't there into the relationship thing. He was more of an institutional Christian. And so we talked about it. And we got it down to the brass tacks. We had lots of conversations over the course of five years and lots of times together. And at the end of that five-year period, I said, Jim, you know enough. We've talked all around these. Every argument you give me, it's the same one that we've had before. You know enough to believe that you have it. And Jim said to me at that day, he said, I know, but I'm not ready. I talked to Jim two weeks ago. Jim doesn't go to church anymore. He's too busy with his business. His business is booming. I talked to him two weeks ago. We're still friends. He's still a notional Christian. I wish today I could tell you that he's become a full-on follower of Christ. But he, he's been enlightened. He knows the truth. He's got it all around him. He just hasn't believed. All right, number two. You've got to be aware of this. You've taste-tested God, but you've not devoured Him. Now, notice what he said here. You've tasted the heavenly gifts. You've shared, excuse me, you shared in the Holy Spirit, and you've tasted the goodness of the Word. Now, I don't know. I want a confession here. How many of y'all have ever gone to Sam's at the right time and gone through and taste-tested as much as you could, and you walk out of there not hungry anymore because you made a meal out of it? Raise your hand. All right, it's awesome. You know, it's a free meal, and you don't even have to pay buy uh, buy the stuff. In fact, if and I, I tried this this past week. If you'll wait till the attendant turns around, you can stick uh, grab another one of whatever it is, and, and, and you're cool. And it's not stealing, okay? Because they're giving it away. Uh, so, so you know, you can taste test and not buy. Well, there's a lot of people. Listen, listen, listen. That taste test God. Don't devour him. And in, in, in Scripture, he talks about it there. In Hebrews, he also talks about it in Psalm 34. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, that's a great statement, and I'm all into that. It's very attractional. I like to taste. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, there's a lot of us that draw a line right after good and right before blessed. Right after good, but right before blessed. We stop at good. We like the notion of Christianity. But we're not going to make God our refuge. We're not going to make Him our Lord. We're not going to obey Him. And what we do, here's a warning to you, we've treated Jesus as a product we consume rather than a Savior who consumes us. Be forewarned. Notional Christians is a very dangerous way. Number three, you walk beside God but not with God. Notice what he said. You said you shared in the Holy Spirit. There are people who come in here week after week after week and they hear a message and they hear the song and they give, somebody gives a testimony up on the screen and are, are they, they encounter somebody and God does a great work in them. And they kind of walk close to the Holy Spirit. But they're not walking with the Holy Spirit. They're not, he's not in them, and they're, they're not a relationship deep down. Oh, they're close. They're really close. They can smell the Holy Spirit. They can feel the Holy Spirit. 
They can sense the Holy Spirit, but they're not one. And because of that, they have, they, they've, they've done all these things, but yet they're not in Him. Now, just maybe epiphany to you as well. You can be really close and still be really far. You can be in bounds and still be out of bounds. I don't know if you all watched the game this past week, but my boys didn't do so well. I mean, they, they look good in the second. Okay, they're coming back. Six seconds, throws the ball uh, to Bryant. Bryant catches it in the end zone. He, beautiful, I mean, just, it's going to change the game. You can see six seconds, 29-30, going to be a game changer. Now, if you watch the game, you know the referees, they threw up their arms, touchdown, all that kind of stuff. They did a replay. And they found that his fingers hit first. And his fingers were out of bounds, even though the rest of his body fell in bounds. You can be really close and be out. It's a game changer. Hanging out with us, hanging out with a bunch of Christians isn't going to cut it. Notional Christianity isn't the same thing as being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people who walk out of the church today and they may never come back and they may show up six months later and they can take it or leave it. Let me just tell you, that's a sign of a notional Christian. And it's a dangerous sign of somebody who just, I, I feel like I need to be there, but whatever, I need to experience a little bit of God, but not, not too much to change me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says this, These people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. And that's a sad thing. Don't be a notional Christian. Don't be a nominal Christian. Nominal, you know, yeah, you're a follower of Christ, but really, it's laziness that keeps you from moving forward. It's not a remedial mind or spirit or anything like that. It's laziness. And this will be the greatest tragedy when, when, we, when this world is over, is that the Great Commission may have been fulfilled a lot faster had there not been as many lazy Christians. Well, let's not be nominal. Let's definitely. Listen, to the nominals, I want to say, I have a message for you today. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Come alive. Get energy in your bones again, in your life, in your spirit. Come alive. I want to also say to the notionals today, come alive. Don't fake it. Don't pose any longer. Be honest with yourself. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, hanging out with a bunch of Christians isn't going to make it. Be a follower. Be an all-in follower of Christ. Gustave Doré, a French painter, who I've been told, and I'm not a student of art history, but I've been told that you can find his works in many museums around the world. He was actually also a teacher of art. He would have apprentices with him, and he would teach art lessons to them. The story is told of one of his students coming and bringing a piece of art to him, to Gustav. And it, was a, it was a painting of Jesus. It was his rendition of who Jesus was and looked like. And, and he asked Gustav, he said, what do you think of my art? And Gustav looked at the painter, and he looked at the art. He looked at the painter, he looked at the art. He looked at the painter, and he looked at the art. And he said this, if you loved him more, you would have painted him better. 
And I wonder today if the world were to look at you, your closest friends, your children, your family, your workmates, would they look at you and say, you are a rendition. You are a painting of Jesus. Or are you in name only? Are you a, a card-carrying member, but not in heart and life? Don't be notional. And certainly don't be nominal. Would you pray with me? Father, no pretending, no posing. Do a work in us, Lord. If we're awake, if we're asleep, Lord, if we're if we're if we're just in this notional idea of I like Christianity, I like what it means, I like what it represents, I like what it teaches, but I'm not gonna let it change me. Lord, awaken our soul and help us to come alive again. Help us to come alive for the first time. Lord, if we're nominals at best, lazy, we ought to be teaching. Instead, we're still being taught. Lord, awaken us. Lord, help us to come alive. Help us to, help us, Lord, to become what you want us to become instead of just being what we want to be. Right now in this time, this place, speak to our hearts. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you don't know if you're in a relationship with God, you're notional at best. You're here because you acknowledge it. You acknowledge Christianity is good, but you don't have a relationship. Don't go any further. Stop right here establish that relationship. We had somebody in our last service give their life to Christ. What a beautiful time. I'll be standing here at the front. Come see me. If you need to renew that relationship with God because you're nominal, do what you need to do. This is your time.